Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. I have a special guest today who's somebody that I've been a colleague with and um, in various ways, and we can talk about that if we like, but Brian Dirsch is the president and CEO of Dirsch Design and Engineering. And I've asked him to be on this podcast for a couple of reasons, and you'll see when I just tell you what the mission statement is for their company. The mission is, we exist to design power and lighting systems for construction projects with an emphasis on renewable energy, customer service, and here's the key, employing engineers that you can hold a conversation with. Now, Brian is has a goal of getting engineers on that you can have a conversation with, and he's also very articulate in how he describes how they do that and what their communication strategies are. So... That's why we have him here today. So welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you, Joni. Yeah, I'm so glad for you to be here. And all right, so I told a little bit about the mission of your company. So tell us a little bit about your background. You know, what kind of engineer are you? How'd you get into this? And, you know, how did you come to create a company where the engineers can hold conversations with customers? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, I guess it all goes back to when... um, I bought a computer when I was 11 or 12 years old with paper route money. Um, I was always kind of like, really liked technology, really liked radio controlled cars, really liked taking things apart, breaking them, putting them back together, seeing how they work. And I bought this computer, you know, with paper route money is, you know, I mean, it had a 50 megabyte hard drive, if that puts it into perspective. We're talking like, yeah. you know, early 90s. And I, I typed a character on the screen and it popped up, you know, typed a character on the keyboard and it popped up on the screen. And I was like, man, how is that even possible? It like blew my mind that I could put something here and it transmits and computes and then ultimately displays on a screen. I'm like, man, that's really cool. Like I had no idea how that could happen. So I started thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to have a career, maybe a computer engineering would be a good career because I could learn all that stuff and, you know, kind of geeking out on it at the time. And then I started thinking about, well, you know, do I, I started doing some programming and stuff in early HTML web days, um, back when you had to pretty much hand code everything. And I got to doing that. I'm like, man, would I really want a job where I was just coding all day? Like that would seem kind of monotonous, you know, if that's what you had to do every day, at least for me. So I said, well, electrical engineering, you can do anything with electricity. You can do computers, you can do lights, you can do phones. I mean, you can, there's just a lot broader opportunities. So I decided what I wanted to do in eighth grade and stuck with it to this day. Um, and, you know, I went to, went to college to be an electrical engineer and graduated with a um, bachelor's in electrical engineering and a minor in mathematics from Northern Illinois University. And I, at the time I graduated, they weren't hiring many electrical engineers. And I thought I was designing cell phones and stuff like that, working for Motorola in the Chicago area. And um, 
so I applied for all these jobs and none of them was landing. I was getting very discouraged. So I happened to land upon a career in consulting engineering where um, in my first project I was working on was the largest construction project in the history of Illinois, which was the O'Hare Modernization Project. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't find it like, I, I found it very intriguing to um, the types of projects we're working on, getting to go cool places, places the general public can't go, getting to work and figure out how they work and, and make uh, and build them. Um, and at the time, I was told that there was a bunch of electrical engineers that were going to be retiring in about 10 years and that there weren't that many people going into large-scale power engineering. A lot of them were going into semiconductors, very low-scale power right. engineering in a, in a uh, geeky sort of way, people working to the right of the decimal place as opposed to the left of the decimal place. So I was like, huh, you know, there's a gap forming here. In 10 years, you know, I could be someone that could potentially inherit an industry, so to speak, you know? So I just chose to stick with it. Um, I ended up changing jobs and working for a world-class architecture firm and literally worked on designing the world's tallest building, which I found really interesting. And at the same time we're doing that, they were hiring engineers from all over the world to relocate them to Chicago to work on this project. So I was like, oh man, like I can go anywhere I want, I guess. You know, I'm a young guy and there's really nothing holding me down. So I ended up finding a job at Move, moving to San Diego and met my wife here, you know, all the while, you know, being an electrical engineer. Um, got a job as a manager of our director of engineering at a renewable energy contractor and I really enjoyed the small business atmosphere and really enjoyed working on this renewable energy project. Um, it uh, did two things for me. It uh, capitalized on um, all of my previous large engineering skill and focused it on what then became sort of my hobby you could say is like renewable energy design and um, it also was my first uh, experience with management and small business. Um, one thing I really enjoyed about the small business atmosphere was that there's really no limits. You can go after what you want to go after, or you can you know, shy away from what you want to shy away from. Um, you can get in over your head, and as engineers, we fight our way through it and figure out how to make it work. And to me, that was... Uh, very cool. And working for a contractor, I got to see my projects built a lot quicker. I got real-world feedback from the field on the design of my projects. And so that was really good for my career. And then um, my, I got married, and my wife had had a dream to become a traveling nurse, which is you go and travel the country, or some people do the world, but you take three-month stints uh, here and there, and, you know, hopefully somewhere cool that you get to explore. And we like the idea of traveling. So, I mean, I've had a job since I was 13, you know, doing paper routes and random other jobs. And uh, she said, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, you can either stay in San Diego and work or come with me. And I was like, well, um, I think I'm going to have to go with you. So yeah. <laughs> for the first time since I was like 13, I quit my job and had nothing. And my employer at the time thought that it was such a cool opportunity. They were very supportive, which I was thrilled about. So, um, and that was very good for me because they wanted me to, they asked me if I would also work on the road, um, do projects here or there, finish up some projects, maybe take on some new stuff here or there. So I ended up, you know, taking on some odds and ends projects, you know, just working from a laptop and man, they were super successful. I was making money, the employer was making money and 
you know, at some point, like a light bulb went off. It's like, I got to be able to get five more clients. And so I used the rest of our travel time, which ended up being a year and a half, to figure out how to start a business. Um, I went to the library, read a lot of books on what it takes to be a consultant, what it takes to start a business, you know, basic fundamental steps from, you know, how you establish your phone numbers to how to dress, to how to exercise, and, and wow. stuff, you know, you normally wouldn't even think of when starting a business, right? Um, but I read up on like all the fundamentals and then I took a, you know, accounting class at a community college and, you know, somewhere during school, I realized like, uh, there was another light bulb moment where I realized that I could really do anything that I put my mind to. Um, but it has to be interesting to me. Otherwise I get bored with it. So I was like, well, as long as the business side is interesting to me, I, I should be able to make it work. Um, so I drafted a, a rough marketing plan and you know moved back to San Diego after the traveling was done and just hit the ground running trying to market my business, which was you know still with one customer, my original employer. And I, so I got no business from where I thought I was going to get business, and I got great business from other places that I had no idea that was going to business. Uh, I was going to get business. At first, it seemed random, but then I realized that um, the way I was approaching it, I was just really putting myself out there. I was establishing a very firm foundation of the business. I was um, out mingling, meeting people. Um, and at first, like the where I got business seemed random, but then I realized all along I was just increasing my probability of success by doing all of these legwork and and foundation business and just constant dedication to trying to build a business and find work and establish myself. And, you know, it takes a while to see the gratification from that, but eventually, you know, all the hard work and dedication does pay off. And it's a quote from Arnold Palmer. It says, uh, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And that's really how I feel. Um, I feel like um, I'm doing everything to increase the odds uh, in the favor of success by the way I'm going about establishing the business. Um, and you know, I'm an engineer first, so I think my approach to starting the business was on an engineering perspective, right? You gather the facts, you make decisions, you figure out an execution plan, you execute. Um, but I was a business person second. So a lot of the business decisions I had to make, a lot of the um, clients I took on, a lot of the negotiations, projects, um, uh, positioning the business for success. Um, that was sort of just learned by trial and error. And I made the decision very early on that I was not going to associate with bottom feeder type clients because if you do that, then you're just left fishing from the bottom and it's not a good place to be. Um, I, there's always somebody out there with a lower self-esteem than you. So I feel like you have to position yourself high and elevate, continually elevate your clients, continually elevate your skills and experience, continually elevate your team and your business to continue to set yourself up for success. Um, so uh, that was wow. a little bit of a monologue, there, yeah. but I hope it gives you a good sense of my you know, philosophy and how I started the business and how I'm, how I'm chasing it and uh, has seen some success. Yeah, I think that's great, Brian, that you were willing to share so much about your past starting from when you were 11 years old and that, first of all, you had this interest and this, this passion about engineering from such a young age and you knew what you wanted to do. 
uh, and you stuck with it the whole time. But I also am hearing in this story so many varied experiences. You know, mm -hmm. you, you've had a variety of different opportunities to try out engineering in different capacities and even traveling for a year and a half and uh, working, doing contract work and, and then now doing uh, business. I mean, you've had to learn the business skills. So, you know, throughout all of this, I'd love for you to be able to share with our listeners and viewers some of the people strategies that you've gained along the way and, and how, you know, maybe what came naturally to you and what you've had to work on. So as you sort of gotten to the point where you are now and being an engineer and, and contracting with, with clients, let's start with that. What kind of people skills have you, uh, do you use and have you had to develop? Okay. So initially in high school, um, in health class, they had us do an art project. One of my friends from high school, Rachel, she always brings up this thing that she thought was so funny because, you know, I was still in my shell, you know, I'm, new student in high school. I was very shy, you know, I was scared to approach girls and, you know, uh, inherently I'm an extrovert, but I was felt introverted at that point in time. And I put together this art project for my health class and there you were supposed to put like pieces, pieces of paper and whatever art project that um, were adjectives that describe you. And I put in like shy and all this other stuff that I'm, I'm clearly not, right? But that was my perception of myself back then. Um, and so one thing that helped me break out of that shell was I, uh, I became, I started uh, going into theater and I was on speech team, which they called forensics at our high school. And I remember, so in speech team, I did a, a few different events, but the ones I enjoyed the most were, uh, they called it uh, humorous interpretation, where it's like you, act out a humorous skit where you play all the characters and use your body language and, and uh, voice and you know mannerisms to depict all of these different characters. Mm -hmm. in and I remember the first time I had to perform, it was a room full of about four people. It's in a small classroom, so pretty much empty. And I was absolutely terrified. Right. I was like, how am I going to do this? I'm shaking. I'm third up, you know, these other people went ahead of me. It was probably their first time too. And I was just so scared. I went up there and I just gave it a shot. And it was funny. They, they had like, at the end, they had the, the awards and they had, you know, um, not pros, but they had like the experienced people awards and they had the amateur awards. And I got sixth place in amateur. I don't know who gets awards for sixth <laughs> place, but I actually got a trophy for getting sixth place as an amateur. And wow. that was a, so motivating to me because I was like this is the first time I went out there and you know did this and you know here I got an award I was I was extremely excited um, but after participating in speech team and doing theater for you know probably three years of high school I totally broke out of that shell mm -hmm. and I realized that in one play that I was in where I was you know not a lead role but I had a pretty major role I was out on stage the majority of the play I realized that I was potentially giving, you know, speaking in front of, you know, a thousand people, maybe, I don't know, maybe more, you know? So like, oh man, if I can talk in front of a thousand people without, you know, blinking an eye, like that's gotta be a pretty serious, pretty serious skill to develop, right? And it would not have happened without those experiences in high school. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't looking forward. I was just, you know, I was sort of following what my friends were doing. You know, my friends were doing this. I thought it was fun. You know, I get to hang out with them more and I get to do these fun activities. But then I started interviewing for jobs and I realized that I'm not nervous at all. And they say like public speaking is the number one fear. Like 
it's my number one skill, I feel like. So anytime that I, as a um, professional, anytime I feel like I can get on a stage and um, share some of my knowledge or get in front of a group, like it's, it's generally well received and I generally a benefit from that. Um, and so I keep thinking about how I can do that in my business. And one of the ways I've been doing that is, you know, um, uh, I need more architectural clients. Uh, so one of the things I did was I put together an educational presentation for architects entitled Solar Design for Schools. I give a free catered lunch and, you know, I can either go to a place like a, you know, where there's multiple architects already and give the presentation there. I can go to individual architect's office and deliver the same, um, the same uh, educational mm-hmm. uh program and I give a handout and everything and it's always well received and you know I've probably given about 10 of those and I've probably seen business now from four or five of those customers and I mean they've been like really good contracts not not like odds and ends deals but like really good like sizable deals that are make me feel good about myself because they're all renewable energy related and they're uh, most of them are for schools which you know I love giving back to the community and seeing students learn from our project like that's that's uh really important to me so um that's one of the ways skills that i developed is public speaking skills tremendously beneficial another one of the skills i developed that i think is very important for engineers is technical writing you and i try to think of it this way um tell them the time not how the clock is made if someone asks how the clock is made Sure, tell them. But usually, uh, and a lot of times, you're dealing with non-technical people, and they're hiring us for our electrical engineering skills because they don't have electrical engineering skills. The customer doesn't really care what the equation is to get the end result. They care what the end result is. So I try to eloquently document what they're looking for so they can so the customer can make uh, informed, uh, concise business decisions based on the skills that they hired us to help supplement. Mm-hmm. Um, so technical writing is another huge one, and that's learned. Um, I did hire someone that had very poor written communication skill, mm-hmm. and after seeing my example and me coaching this person through technical writing, I, in within a year and a half, I saw a dramatic increase in the quality of the technical writing and customer correspondence. So it is a skill that I know 100% for sure can be learned. It just takes time and you have to have a good example. Uh, another way that I connect with people is that, um, you know, like public speaking, you know, uh, I'm, like I said, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at. Um, but when you're in one-on-one settings, when you go to networking events, yep. when you go to these big organizations, you know, a lot of times I'm the youngest guy in the room and there's all these people with pre-established relationships and, you know, I'm there to network and try to develop a business, but it can be very intimidating, you know, showing up in a room, everybody's a suit, there's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of gray hair, you know, I've got some mostly my goatee and <laughs> getting some here, but, you know, my hair is very much, you know, still dark, you know, and so, um, it's a challenge sometimes to be able to approach people like that because it, it can be extremely intimidating. Um, so I think the way to approach those people is a little bit learned, but at the end of the day, um, once you start the initial conversation, 
what I think is most important is to be able to connect with a person on a personal basis mm -hmm. and then take business discussions from there. And all it takes is finding out what a person's interests are, what their background is, where do they come from, what's important to them. Um, once you like break it down to the small talk and you connect with something and you pick something out that you either have in common with that person or something that you're interested in about that person, uh, you know, and then you just ask about that or tell them about your experiences with that. Um, and then that develops it lessen completely lessens the tension. People are more apt to open up and uh, talk to you. Um, Try, uh, as an example, um, I used to work with uh, some people that were not from the United States. And uh, not that I was doing it for personal gain or anything, but I mean, I'm a social person. I like to talk with people. So I just ask these people about their background. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Where are you from? Like, what would you do as a kid? Like, how, you know, if you were in a very hot climate, how did you deal with that? You know, I'm genuinely interested in these, it's not, in these things. It's not like I'm faking it. But that causes people to like really open up to you and share a lot of the stuff that they probably wouldn't have. And then when you pair that with a business setting, you know, let, let's say you're talking with a CEO of a you know national firm with you know tons of people underneath them. You know, it can be kind of an intimidating to approach a person like that. But if you find out, you know, the person is an avid basketball player, and then you happen to—I'm not a basketball player—but if you happen to you know, be good at basketball, then you can talk about, you know, random basketball incidences that happen with you, you know, and that really lightens the mood. And then also allows when you do talk about business, uh, more of a personal one-on-one -on -one connection with that person, as opposed to if you just approach a person and say, hey, what type of business are you in? How can we do business together? You know, it's very right. cold. If a person doesn't want to open up, they'll share with the business they do with you probably just to be friendly. They don't want to blow you off. But, you know, ultimately it takes that personal connection to really get people to mm -hmm. open up. Um, and also, uh, just the where, where I've been and where I've come is interesting to a lot of people. So I met someone recently at one of these events where it was my first time attending one of these events. All these people know each other. And I approached this, you know, this group of people and one person asked me what I did and told them I founded the company five years ago or, you know, we're electrical engineers. And he's like, oh, you know, we should talk. Like, I've got this contract and we really need an electrical engineer. And, but I had the personal interaction with him first that, uh, and you know, if I didn't have that personal interaction first, you know, I might not have, you know, might not have been interested in who I was, where I came from, you know, or be interested in talking to me more about doing business. So. Um, well, let me ask you something, Brian, because um, I love it what you're saying about this personal interaction. And, and that's what I, preach so often and you know I do a lot of work with folks who are on virtual teams you know is distributed around the country or the world and they just get right into the task I mean you know engineers and stuff too we technically people you want to go straight to the task let's get things done let's not waste time on the personal side so um, you know I guess are you doing a lot of this face-to-face -face? Do you find that that's necessary to build those connections or are you able to do that in a way that's that's a virtual as well or how do you do it um, are you are you speaking with customers or my internal team? Ah. We do have virtual customers yeah. and virtual team in teams here. Well, maybe you could talk to a little bit of both. I okay. guess. Right. Yeah. So let's start with the internal team. So I I do have a remote employee working out of Chicago, mm -hmm. but um, I've known this person for a number of years. Yeah. Um, Big uh, difference. Former coworker, friend, 
Uh, so we do have that um, interaction, right? So there's a little previous history there, so I'm not going into it completely cold. Um, but we uh, stay in touch through, um, we use a software tool called Slack. It's like, a, you can call it an instant messaging type program, but it, we create project-specific channels, um, and I set up our IT system such that we can have people dial in, and we just stay coordinated through Slack, which works really well. Um, if we have company meetings where um, we're all gathering here, we dial him in with a webcam and computer, and he's an active participant. We literally put him in front of the seat, you know, just like everybody else. Right. An active participant in the meeting. Um, and with customers, I mean, we're dealing with projects, you know, sometimes, you know, or the world, or different parts of the U.S., different parts of California. Um, so a lot of times those projects have to be handled remotely. So we've some of them have software tools that we keep in touch. Email is always really good. Um, you can't beat face-to-face, though. There's just something about face-to-face interaction. Mm -hmm. You can get stuff solved so much quicker. Um, as an example, I have a project where the contractor installing it had a bunch of questions. You know, his, I think internally he thought the project was screwed up or something. So, like, hey, we need to hash this out. You know, we try to get on the phone to discuss it. It just, you know, it, without being there and seeing it and the personal interaction, there just wasn't a lot of confidence. So we show up at the site. First things we say is like, hey, nothing screwed up. If there is, we're going to fix it. And we'll work with you guys and figure out the best solution possible. Once you say that, like, all the tensions are eased. And you right. figure out, like, the pain point the person's having. And you figure out the quickest way to solve it. And then you just listen to them and figure out what's the easiest way to going about solving it. And if it involves a little work on your end, you just do it at get it done and customer satisfied. Um, uh, so virtually, sometimes it can be a challenge to solve those types of issues. Um, but I think going into it with the attitude that you care to help someone through it and just not that there's a problem, don't present a problem, right? If you're going to present a problem, make sure you have a solution or at least, you know, an approach to go about achieving it. Right. Well, I'm curious about, you're talking about the customers and they come in saying it's a problem. What kind of, if you could... Uh, give advice to the customers out there, maybe not specific ones, you know, but uh, what would you recommend that how that they would do to improve their communication with, say, an engineering firm like yours? Um, just be open to ideas. Um, we had a case recently where um, a customer thought the design we chose was an expensive way to go about it, and this particular customer is very cost conscious. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, if Projects aren't be able to be sold and built for a certain cost. I mean, no, no work would get done, right? So I had to explain to this person why we chose the way we did, why we thought the what they refer to as the expensive approach wasn't necessarily that expensive because um, I illustrated to them a bunch of other risks that they were not seeing. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think they had firm grasp of what the pitfalls of their cheaper alternative ones. And once I explained to this person in calm terms how we went about designing it, how we evaluated all the options, how we hear what they're saying, we understand their concerns, and ultimately, like, we thought about all this, and we still feel that this is the best way for these reasons. There's all these risks, and, you know, with risks, there's money, right? So I explained to them how taking a different approach that maybe costs a little more on the front end completely, well, not completely, but re dramatically reduced the risk and coordination in the project. And um, we'll see where it goes, but um, after we had that conversation, I just tried to explain that to them and 
uh, in clear terms that a layman could understand. You know, I feel like they were felt a lot more comfortable with it. And, you know, we, they went forward saying, okay, well, we're going to evaluate this option knowing what you said now and, you know, uh, and go forth. This is a situation where, you know, tell them the time, you know, not how the clock is made. This is a situation where we had to dive into how the clock was made. And I only try to do that right. if, it, if it's a unique situation, right, where we are come under scrutiny or something like that. So I think you just got to keep a clear head, make sure you are listening to your customer, right? Um, and uh, understand their needs and where they're coming from. And that's one of the benefits of my very diverse experience. You mentioned earlier how I had, you know, gathered unique experiences from all different types of firms. Um, part of it is you, you've got to really understand the motivation behind your customer, what drives them. What drives one customer might be completely different than another customer. One customer might be 100% only focused on a fixed hard you know, front end cost of a project mm -hmm. um, because maybe like they just hand it off at the end of it and they like wipe their hands clean and that's the end of their involvement in the project where another customer is more concerned about the operations and maintenance of the project and they would be willing to spend a little more money on the front end um, to make it a little easier on the back end. So, you know, it's all those understanding those motivations behind all the various different types of customers and the way the projects form is really important to being able to speak to these customers and help them understand and approach the project uh, from their perspective. How do you do that, Brian? How do you find out their motivations? I mean, do you have certain kind of questions that you ask them or? You know? Well, uh, I think it's just experience and knowing where the customer is coming from and how the project evolved, right? Okay. Um, it all starts where the money originates, right? Ah, so we work on a money. Lot of it's the money. Yeah. So if you follow the money, you yeah. can follow the motivation. So okay. just to give you an example, a private industry project is usually um, let's say it's a developer or owner. Um, a developer or owner is going to be very conscious about the ongoing operations and maintenance in their project. But a developer or owner may not be very savvy in engineering, so they may not value the actual engineering effort and sophistication as much as a um, like government entity that has taxpayer-backed money that they need to answer to, right? So some people may be less apt to pay more money for engineering because they don't see the value in it. Um, and that goes back to like my theory of like picking good customers, right? Uh, we try to go for customers that want our service, not customers that need our service, because the people that need your service usually don't value it because it's a necessity, it's a checkbox that they have to check off. It's, okay, we and electrical engineer checks, whereas a customer that wants your service is bringing you in because they know you can save them money and you can service them and help them. And those people, um, you're able to, as long as you can pitch a reasonable value proposition, those people are willing to pay more money for your service. Um, it's all about perceived value. And you sort of have to be a chameleon when it comes to the value, right? You have to see what, where the value, what, what values the customer is looking at. So sometimes you have to work with your customers and sometimes you have to meet in the middle and sometimes you just get completely shot down and which can be not very motivating, right? Um, then those are sometimes the customers that we maybe don't chase as hard the next time, you know? Right, you um, said, yeah, the bottom feeders, you don't want them. 
Yeah. That's right. And I'm not putting, you know, I, I obviously don't want to put any of our customers in the bottom feeder category, but, right. um, you know, everybody has different motivations and they approach products differently and some are more fun to work with and some are more profitable than others. It's inevitable. Yeah. Well, I want to summarize some of the lessons that have come out of our conversation today, Brian, because I think you shared some really important ones. And, you know, in terms of the people strategies, what I'm hearing is making that personal connection is key to doing anything because that's what comes first. And then you can launch in a business or engineering or technical, whatever it is. Um, I've also heard the way that you describe things to people who aren't in the same business as you. They don't want to know how the clock works, as you said. They just want to know what time it is, right? Mm -hmm. So you give them the result and, and speak to uh, the information that they're looking for. And in doing that, you understand their motivations. And one good indicator of people's motivations is where the money's at, which I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. You know, it's like a nice little flag there. Okay, just see where the money's coming from and see what might be uh, driving their interests. And um, also being flexible and getting that varied experience to be able to work with different people. And that just sort of seemed to come naturally for you and your varied path. But I think that that's an important lesson for younger people because so often today people just want to jump right in and you know run to the top and have this um, this job where they think it's you know this fantastic you know running a company like you or something like that. But realizing that it takes a lot to get there and having those experiences lays the foundation for you to be able to deal with the kind of challenges that you'll have and the foundation. Uh, is the interesting part too. I mean, you had all these interesting challenges as you went through this. So thank you, Brian, for sharing so much of you and, no and your strategies and your successes and, and how you've managed to do it. And I think that's been great learning for people who are interested and in honing in their communication skills and uh, looking to uh, communicate with people of varied backgrounds. So really appreciate it. Uh, thanks hey. for being our guest. Yeah. Thanks. I have a couple more things to add, if I might. If that's sure, right. let's hear it. Let's hear it. What are so they? So some of the few things that have also um, been a tremendous help to me mm -hmm. is always having a positive attitude, mm -hmm. always having conf confidence, and always being genuine and doing good, honest work. Um, I think all of those things are super important skills to have, and they're very easy to pick out if you don't have them. And not having any of those one things can immediately disqualify you from getting and doing business, uh, initial business or future business. So I think all of that stuff, you know, genuine, being genuine, positive attitude, confidence, and doing good, honest work are super important as well. Equally as important as making the initial connection. Because the initial connection is pointless if you can't follow up with anything right. else. Right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I hear you on those. Um, there, you know, wheels are churning in my head, too, and experiences I've had when one of those hasn't shown up properly mm -hmm. for me. You know, like I haven't mm -hmm. had the confidence or to do a project or, um, you know, you're trying to put on a, a show for somebody rather than just being who you are, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what we're all about here at Reinventing Nerds is, uh, is being genuine and authentic. So, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that to tell people that is the way to success. So it's, yeah, 
Excellent. Okay. So thanks again. And um, thank you. Yes, we're very glad to have you. And to our listeners and viewers, subscribe to Reinventing Nerds and rate and review the show. And uh, we'll have many more to come. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Joni. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.